I'm Zoe Emily Forbes and welcome back to the Spoken Woman podcast. We're glad to see you here. Enjoy the episode. Hey Chloe and welcome to the Spoken Woman podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Excited to chat to you. I start every episode at the moment with a quick fire round. It's a really fun, easy way to sort of open up conversation. Um, so are you, are you ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready. Amazing. Quick fire them at me. <laughs> <laughs> so what time did you get up today? Oh, today I got up at 6.40am, which is earlier than I have been um, because I was going to the office. Usually I get up at about eight. Sometimes if I'm really tired, I'll get up about five minutes before my first Zoom call at 9am. At, um, at so yeah, yeah 6.45 today, which was a rare occasion. <laughs> yeah, no, don't worry. That is exactly what I'm like. Um, okay. And what was your first ever job? Ooh, God. First ever, ever job was a waitress at a wedding company. Um, so they had like a big hall and there was weddings every like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I waitress there and I think I was about 13 or 14, although I think I told them I was 16 or maybe even 18. Um, and was paid like £3.50 an hour, which is awful. And yeah, um, was, wasn't very good at it. Spilled a lot of like lemon cello shots over people accidentally once stood on a bride's train train yeah that's what you call it um so yeah that was my first job oh funny um what is your favorite color um a favorite color is pink or green I couldn't actually pick because I love them together and my entire flat is pink and green um so yeah one of those two maybe I'll go green I feel like I had a real big pink era and now I'm back on to green and it's the color of my eyes. So, you know, that's green nice. <laughs> definitely the best color. Um, and what is your favorite word? Oh, that's so hard. Um, favorite word. I honestly think it changes a lot. Um, I like serendipity at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good word. I, yeah, I honestly changes. I think it changes on my mood and what I'm writing at the moment. Um, I don't really have like, a favorite word I definitely have words that I use too much mm-hmm. um like um and like and all that um yeah what else? I really like the word udon like udon noodles I feel like it's so it's like very like pleasurable to me to say I feel like it's oh, yes. fun also because they're say. the best noodles by far they're the best noodles. they are and that's all I'm eating at the moment I get very like obsessive with what I eat and will yeah. only like I'll, I don't know if you're the same like I just have one dish that I'll eat constantly for a few months mine at the moment oh, it's like yeah. miso super noodon noodles so yeah you done I'll go before um okay so should we get stuck into the main meaty bit of the interview then um because I think that was a really nice little opening so can you tell us a bit about your life then Chloe who you are what you do yeah of course I never know how far back to go with these questions so I won't go too far back but um so yeah I'm a journalist and poet and I've live in London I've lived in London for about seven eight years now um I was born here in Homerton which is actually now where I'm living again which is nice full circle moment but I grew up in Norfolk predominantly and had my own childhood there and yeah I worked um did university in Newcastle and then work-wise I've always kind of done a lot of different things um but with the same thread which is writing and editorial and always knew I wanted to be a journalist I think the subject I focused on just changed quite a lot so 
when I was 18, I wanted to be a fashion journalist and work on shoots. And I did that for a bit and found out that I didn't love it as much as I thought I would. And then I worked at quite a few startups and kind of got my start there in terms of marketing and social media and editorial. And then I was freelance for a bit as well. And that was mostly social media consulting for some really like big brands like Body Shop and Girl Guiding and stuff like that. And then I got my job at Glamour um, three years ago now, I think, and have been doing that. Um, but yeah, on the side, I started F Girls Club, which it's like a community run feminist platform Mm -hmm. and I started that in 2017 just wanting something to pour my passion into and at the time felt like there wasn't that many spaces like that and I was working you know in fashion in startups and wanted to do something that in my mind you know had a had more of a cause and yeah and then since then that's evolved a lot so it became it was started off very editorial very like article based then it became a bit more activism and events and you know now we've got a really big social presence which is great and yeah that's a massive social that presence kind of nearly 100k yeah it's really good yeah thing. i know it's um yeah it's really kind of blown up over the last few years um and yeah and i'm a poet and i think that's a word i used to feel uncomfortable using about myself mm-hmm. until probably the last year I have always written poetry since I was about seven. So as soon as I could write and was a little bit of a child poet, you know, doing competitions and focusing on it there. And then the classic thing, poetry wasn't really cool when I was a teenager. And so I ditched it for a bit, but always did it privately, just got a bit less confident with talking about Mm. it and doing it um, in public. And then the last three years have really tapped into it again. And yeah, I've just been really lucky that it's, taken off and that it's now snowballing into something that I wouldn't say it's a career yeah I definitely get work through it but it's you know it's more than a hobby and it's in that nice middle ground and enjoying where that journey is taking me at the moment and that's been something I never planned and has been a massive surprise which isn't something I'm usually great at and actually it's been really nice just to go with something and you know follow follow the interest and see that it's resonated and just keep doing it and and I'm taking it a bit more seriously rather than just writing it in private um, and not sharing it with anyone. I was actually going to ask you about a recent recent poem called Setchlin that mm-hmm. you shared on your social media. Um, it's, it's a bit of a touchy subject, so do tell me if um, when when you want us to talk about it. But you addressed a life sort of taking Setchlin, anti an antidepressant, and anti anxiety medication for anyone that's not aware of what it is. Can you tell us about your journey with anxiety and depression? Yeah, definitely. So. Sertraline I've been taking I think for over five years now um, and it's really changed how I've dealt with day-to-day life living with anxiety and depression. Um, In terms of my journey I don't think I don't remember being particularly like anxious or depressed child really and that definitely was trauma triggered and trauma induced in my teens and you know after a multitude of things happened very closely together I think I then developed anxiety first I had you know massive anxiety doing any sort of public speaking or getting public transport being in crowds that kind of thing yeah. and then the depression kind of followed that I think anxiety is exhausting anyone who has it will know that your brain is just constantly you know beating you up and I think my depression almost always came from bouts of really intense anxiety and then the exhaustion that came with that um 
And yeah, so sertraline has really helped me. I've tried a lot of other medications before that. I'm a massive therapy advocate. I've done a lot of different therapies. And yeah, my anxiety got worse in my early 20s. And I think it's leveling out now. And something I've kind of been exploring at the moment and really addressing is that a lot of it has been burnout triggered. And I think that is always something people ask me like, oh, how do you juggle so much? How do you balance so much? And it's something I'm being more open with that actually I probably don't don't do that very well and anxiety and depression is often a consequence or you know it's it's worsened by that um so yeah my journey with anxiety and depression it's just it's kind of hasn't always been there but it's been there since you know about 14 15 and manifested in different ways you know at school and university and then work it definitely has changed a lot and I think it's one of those things for a long time I was always told I didn't look like someone who had mental health issues because I'm confident and busy and social and it's really been a process for me of just accepting that I do have it and actually it doesn't have to look how other people think it looks and we all yeah. have different functioning levels and if you know it's debilitating to me then that's all that matters um I definitely when I was younger trying to get help or support with mental health was you know just always passed along and told that you know why don't you go for a walk or something you seem fine um so yeah that's my journey so I went on a bit of a few tangents there no not at all it's, it's really interesting to hear because it's it sounds like it's very much an ongoing journey especially when you're talking about burnout how you know that you're still mm-hmm. juggling so much so how has it sort of impacted finding your voice how has it how has it impacted your journey sort of to writing and releasing your poetry yeah um it's hard to think of it as impacting because I think it's not an outside force it's just a constant part of my life like I think it's just always there and sometimes it's more manageable and sometimes it's not and I think it obviously makes life harder anyone with mental health issues you know it's a struggle but it because it has always been so constant I think it was always going to manifest in my writing it was always going to be a topic that I ended up talking about and it started a little bit more you know objectively with writing mental health features where maybe I'd interview people about mental health or talk about um, symptoms of certain disorders in a you know in a more objective way and on F Girls Club has done you know mental health events or have shared a lot of resources but I think the poetry is you know I've always written about my mental health within my poetry I think it's just becoming to that point where I want to share it so for me it was almost always inevitable it's just getting the courage to put it out there and you know um yeah I think it's it's hard to think of the impact it's had I mean sometimes it's the awful artist thing that we're always like oh I make my best art when I'm really sad yeah (laughs) and I hate that because it is kind of true trope but then you know I've made great art when I've been happier and I think it's you know it's it's the kind of art that you create in that space and I think it's cathartic and a release and you know the sharing it comes later I always give myself a lot of distance to any work I do especially poetry I you know when I publish things the odd piece will be reactive but most of it is always something I've written and sat on and re-edited and re-looked at a long time and kind of got to a place where I'm happy and open to share it. Yeah. So with with those poems that you do release and you um, put into anthologies, what are you, what are you hoping to say from them? What, what 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 like with these pieces that are vulnerable, these pieces that are talking about anxiety, depression, these pieces talking about oh. sexual 
um, assault or harassment. What are you trying to address? Who is your sort of listenership here? I think, I mean, women largely and mostly younger versions of myself as well. I think that I always want to write things I wish I had read and I find it, I'm quite a naturally vulnerable person. I wouldn't say I'm naturally open, but I'm definitely vulnerable. And I think my friends and partners, et cetera, would all say that, you know, I, I very much put my full self and my authentic self forward. Um, I don't know how else to, to be. That's just always who I have been. So yeah. with that, I think it's never feels so, I, sometimes I don't realize something's really vulnerable and then I put it out there and or even that it's that unique maybe or a, or traumatic experience and mm. then people come back and it's really helped them and they've resonated. I think sometimes I have the person in mind who I'm writing for and sometimes I'm just expressing myself. But yeah, mostly young women is definitely where I want to write for and I always want to make my work accessible, especially my poetry, because it's such an unaccessible area of literature and it's yeah. got so much snobbery attached to it and that's always been really important to me to make it you know something that can widely be consumed and also help and and not have a load of pretense around it as well um so yeah I think you know with the anthology that just got released trigger warning I had two poems in there and then edited and collated 30 women's poems all around sexual assault and trauma and for me I think it's just it's more about giving them a space to write and a lot of them were first time published poets a lot of them haven't ever talked about this before in their life even with friends or partners so it's a space to open up but also feel part of a community and that they're not doing it alone so that was really important with this most recent anthology and I always think I just hope you know as much as I want it to be a comfort and a hug for survivors who read it I also hope that it changes a couple of people's minds who maybe haven't engaged in that topic before and sometimes you know that never happens and there's pieces or features I've written that you know you're addressing men often or or perpetrators of abuse and you know you get so much resistance or they just don't engage with it but I think that's always also the end goal you know I want to comfort young women and I also want to challenge the patriarchy and you know toxic cultures and abuse and hopefully I don't think one piece of writing is ever going to completely change someone's mind but if it can chip away at the you know their subconscious a little bit um I think that's you know also the aim like you mentioned poetry is one of those things that you read in private and you you don't talk you don't necessarily talk to people loads of people about it so it's something that you can learn Mm -hmm. from on your own and I think actually it can be the most the easiest way to access someone else's mind and change that perspective because they do it yeah. in private. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's a very it's very personal poetry as in terms of writing art forms is probably the most per- personal. And I think it's because it's so subjective. You know, I can re- write, write a piece sometimes and someone will be like, oh, you know, this meant this to me and I'm so glad you spoke about it. And actually that wasn't at all what I had intended, but I'm glad that they've taken something from it. And I think that's, you know, interpretation is such a big part of poetry. And I think that's really important, as you say, you know, you're personally digesting it and, yeah. you know, maybe that has a bigger impact in some ways because you're coming to your own conclusions. So whilst we're on the topic of your poetry, I'd actually, I always, I did this with Ebony when I had her on the 
uh, podcast. I Because I have you on here, <laughs> will you read us one of your poems? I will. I'm very happy to. Um... You can either talk about one of the ones we've just discussed, so Setrelin or Boys in Blue Blazers from the anthology you released yesterday. But obviously feel free if there's another one that you love and you want to share. Yeah, um, I'll do Sertraline and then, you know, maybe if we've got time, I can do another one. So, yeah, let's do Sertraline first. Shall I just go? (laughs) Go for it. 50 milligrams once a day for five years. That's 1,825 little film-coated pills popped into my mouth with water and coffee and herbal tea and bleary first-thing morning eyes. Forgotten sometimes, remembered as soon as the fog comes down and settles in my brain. I'll take a dry mouth. I'll take hot, vivid dreams. I'll take the near-constant nausea. I'll take the dizzy spells. Maybe they didn't save me, but they helped me be me. Gave me the space to be something other than unsettled. I think that was a really, really beautiful way of depicting that, Chloe. Um, And then I was going to say, should I read It's Not That Bad? Go for it, please. I'd love that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, this is kind of the poem that got my poetry noticed I would say and that was in summer and it just went you know more viral than I ever thought would ever happen with a poem of mine so you know it's really kick-started a lot and it's yeah I think it's a topic that is always very relevant so I'll get into it pee straight after sex wear a pad just in case you spot take the pill at the same time every day If you leave a tampon in too long, you could die. Don't complain when a T-shaped copper device is put into your uterus with no pain relief. When a period makes you pass out in agony, cramp so badly you vomit, bleed through clothes every month. Don't ask again if the doctor says you're fine. Be a good fertile girl who doesn't get depressed on microgynon. Celeste, Desigen, Aless, Erin, Yasmin, Sapphiral, Rigadevan, Bayaz, Kazazan. Blood clots aren't that common. It's better for him to not wear a condom. It can make sex less pleasurable. You haven't come in years. Did you read the label? Birth control can cause low libido, weight gain, migraines, acne, breast tenderness, mood changes, anxiety, depression, spotting, nausea, discharge, vaginal dryas, corneas. Did I mention blood clots? liver tumours, heart attacks, diabetes, strokes, breast cancer, high blood pressure. Male birth control can make him tired and cause acne and mild erectile dysfunction, weight gain sometimes, but no more than five pounds, don't worry. Sip it down, inject it, insert it, just make sure you control it. Damn. (laughs) Yeah, damn. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, a bit heavy. <laughs> no, not heavy at all. It's it's yeah. that's that's one of those crazy topics that um, basically every single woman in the UK slash globally completely resonates with, and you've put it in the most beautiful words. And it's yeah, that's something I will definitely be sharing a lot um, oh, with thank people. You. When did you write that poem? Um, so that was actually probably the only reactive poem that I did just share very reactively. Um, so that was in, I think it was in July, and there had been loads in the news about male birth control mm-hmm. and why it couldn't be approved. And then there was, you know, 
just just you know an onslaught of that and feeling very frustrated and I just I think I wrote it probably in about three minutes and put it into an you know an Instagram post and just posted it and didn't really look at it had my friend's birthday and then was very hungover woke up and was like have someone someone punched me (laughs) um and then yeah it just it had gone kind of everywhere which was sad that it resonated so much I think you know you never you know that every woman goes through it but it's something we just don't talk about enough and yeah so yeah it was over summer yeah there's a actually I watched a little reel on the female lead yesterday which I'm sure you follow quite closely um and there's a new one that's come out that a woman's created for men and Dyson have like it's like won an award with Dyson or something because it's like a little I don't know it's kind of like a little round thing that they basically put on their testicles and I can't remember what it does it does something yeah, I think they like heats them up and then it's like kind of I think it's like ultrasound, but it's but it's reversible, but I mean there's basically no side effects. But also, you know, they created a gel quite a few years ago that would just rub on, you know, your back and you'd only have to do it once a month or something like that and didn't get past the trials because, you know, men's side effects are taken much more seriously and I don't think medication should be part of it has all these side effects, but every single pill has ten times the amount and we will be taking them for a long long time so and women yeah. can have Hopefully. one baby a year whereas men can make many <laughs> but, yeah exactly um... so let's hope one gets passed because I will be yeah definitely insisting that my partner who takes it yeah exactly um yeah gosh yeah the pill is horrible um <laughs> all of it is horrible anyway <laughs> moving on um in an article you wrote for Glamour and then shared on Vogue, um, you spoke about this sense of a foreshortened future, um, which I actually had never heard about before, um, mm. which is a symptom of trauma. So you were convinced you would die at the age of 25 and this led you to sort of like set insane career goals. So I don't know whether you could explain to us, first of all, really what a foreshortened, what the sense of a foreshortened future is mm. really. And then what, what were those goals as well? Yeah, definitely. So the term I saw on a TikTok and actually one of my best friends shared it with me because we've talked about this scent, this feeling before, but had never known the name, haven't heard it talked about in this, you know, therapy space before. And I watched the, the video and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. This has just explained exactly what I've always felt and put some words to it. And then I wrote the feature and, you know, spoke to a lot of women that have had the same um, feelings and, and men and, you know, it's, it's really widespread and it's just a trauma response where you just, you're used to maybe bad things happening or you don't want to get excited for good things or a long life. So you just can't imagine yourself past a certain age. And I think it's so intertwined with, you know, other mental health issues because, you know, if you're depressed or anxious or, you know, whatever you, you know, you could, sometimes you can't imagine getting through the next day, maybe the next year. So a lifetime seems impossible at certain stages. And I also have a chronic health issue. I've got psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. And that definitely fed into this when I got that diagnosis, because you just, you're kind of rushing because you don't know if you're going to have the time and you just can't imagine it. It's that thing you just can't, you almost don't feel like maybe you deserve this happy, you know, growing old life or, and sometimes it's just, 
you can't let yourself imagine it. So that's, yeah, that's what the foreshortened sense of future is. Um, and for me, yeah, it manifested in ways of just really, I've always been ambitious and had a lot of goals and they increased, um, you know, my teens and I wrote, you know, 10 year lists of things I had to do and had this massive sense of failure at 21 and 25 when, you know, I'd only done seven out of the 10 things on the list. Um, and I didn't actually put the goals in the article because I kind of don't want to push this girl boss burnout culture that like <laughs> I have been so guilty of. Like I wrote a piece a few years ago that just makes me cringe about hustle culture and how to have a side hustle and make it all work. And, you know, I did achieve, achieve a lot of them, but it's, you know, at what extent and, mm you know, I hope that I, the other ones happen in my life, but now I'm kind of c coming to terms with the fact that, you know, I've, I've gone way past that, well, not way past, but I'm past that 25 <laughs> point by yeah. a few years and I, nothing's happened and, you know, I've got time to do the other things that I want to do and I don't have to rush it or, you know, yeah, really burn myself out in the process or neglect everything else in my life. You know, I can, because I couldn't maybe imagine, old age or marriage and etc I maybe didn't invest in those parts of my life as much as I would have done if I could and now do you think you'll sort of be investing in those parts yeah definitely I think it's you know it's going to be a slow process but I think I'm definitely aware of the behaviors and I have really been trying to get out of my own you know way with these this you know goal setting mentality and I'm still not 100% there and it's a work in progress and I think you know, trying to rebalance my life and focus on it as a whole and, you know, just, yeah, planning for the future as well. It's as simple as that, like, you know, maybe wouldn't plan something more than a year in advance or even talk about it. And, you know, now, now I can, you know, you're planning Hindus and weddings with friends three years in advance and yeah. I'm actually agreeing to it and signing myself up because I can, you know, and I can imagine myself being there. So yeah, I'm definitely working on it. Yeah. Um, and there's sort of another piece that I wanted to talk to you about is that some of your poems hold this, this beautiful thread of feminine friendships. So your poem, mm. I want these nights forever finished with the line, if this isn't love, then I don't know what the hell is. I bring this up because in the article in Vogue, you mentioned this idea of the foreshortened future meant that you couldn't perceive yourself married, which you meant we spoke about a second ago and growing old mm. with someone. So have you found that because of that, you've lent on your friendships to provide that love instead. And that's kind of why that femininity is threaded through your poems. What, what feminine friendships, sorry, is threaded through your poems? Potentially. I don't know. I think it's a hard one. It's, it's chicken and egg. So I relied very heavily on friendships at a time where I couldn't rely on, you know, maybe family as much. And I feel like I've always seen friends as as important as romantic relationships, as family relationships. You know, I hold them in the highest esteem and they have really enriched and fulfilled my life. And I feel like, you know, we can all, we probably all feel the same. So it's hard to know if I lent on them more because of this foreshortened sense of future or if they would have been just as important otherwise. But I think it's, yeah, I think it's a mixture of things and they are just, you know, I love the conversations that have been coming up over the last few years a little bit more, you know, like Dolly Alderton's books and, and all that. I think it's really put, shone a light on the fact that, female friendships are so integral and we get such a support and community from them and 
you know, they are as important as romantic relationships and this thing that we're peddled that we must, you know, find a partner and get married and have babies before, you know, we're too old, etc. is obviously really toxic, but is always always overshadowed these female friendships that I think are just as important and yeah. we should give as much weight to and really celebrate. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I've yeah, there's so many good books um, that have come out over the last few years and podcasts mm-hmm. that talk about this this idea. And I I I think most women hopefully resonate and if they don't then they need to get on board and get themselves a little group of female friends because yeah uh, and definitely it's like just nothing else and sometimes it's just really you know really looking at your female friendships maybe you, because you're so focused because society has told you to be on romantic relationships you've you know neglected that side of your life or haven't thought of them as romantic in their own way and fulfilling in their own way so yeah I definitely recommend reading a few books um one of my colleagues and friend wrote almost adults which is just really life-affirming about female friendship and would definitely recommend that and you know obviously dolly's book is the dog of female friendships and (laughs) and all of that so yeah i think read some books and have a re you know rethink it and have a look at it again um and yeah try and invest in it a bit more um so you founded the community, uh, which can be found at FGRLS Club. I say that because it hasn't got an eye in girls. <laughs> yeah, so it is. F- it up. Yeah, honestly, the amount of um, trouble we've had with this name. So yeah, it's pronounced F Girls Club. And I can't remember, honestly, it was so long ago. I can't actually remember where the name came from. I was around my kitchen table thinking, knowing what I wanted to do, playing around with, you know, like feminist girls club but then that was everywhere. Someone had already taken that and then it kind of just shortened to F girls club and you know, yeah. So yeah, it's pronounced F girls, but we've had a lot of different, um, different pronunciations over the years. Obviously we spoke earlier about why you built this community, but why, why did you stick, have you stuck to it for so long and why do you think it's become Mm -hmm. such a success? Yeah. So it was a slow, it's been slow in its growth and, and, I think it's definitely changed in in its you know in the how it's been set up or you know what we're doing with it but it's always felt like my baby and I've been so proud of it and when I launched it it was never for any particular reason I it don't, I didn't see it as a business really and I didn't see it as something that was going to take off it was just a space to explore topics that maybe weren't covered elsewhere and you know in journalism and in certain areas I'm not allowed to be as political as I maybe would like to be and it was you know an offshoot of that where I could just really put out voices and advice etc that I thought were important and had the space and I think over the years it's grown and grown and you know I think it's grown because of this foundation and this authenticity you know this myth that we're peddled that you can start something and overnight it will have a big success and you know be a career and etc I think is a lot harder in practice and sometimes the best things take time and we have an audience that really trusts and believes in us and that's so important and you know we've had big moments where we've gone viral and then we've grown by you know 20,000 followers or something but it you know those moments have been scattered over the years and yeah so I think I've just I've stuck at it because it's always been fulfilling and rewarding to me and there's times you know in the pandemic we weren't allowed to do events and 
I used to love doing those, but actually it, the timing was probably a blessing because it was a bit too much and I was, you know, doing too much. So, yeah. you know, I definitely want to do more events in the future, but it's almost always changed with me and what I can take on and where my focus is. You know, I think we are definitely more political than maybe when we started out and we have different contributors and, you know, different audiences and stuff. And I think, yeah, it's just, it's, it's changed with me and with my representation and what my, understanding and beliefs in feminism and it's really nice to see this community kind of build and educate with us um and yeah I think I always you know there's times when I'm like oh I just can't handle another thing and it's you know it's something that I love but I, do I have time to do it and actually it's always worth putting in the work and it's been for me it's just been yeah it's been such a rewarding thing that I just have always stuck with it and want to continue to as long as I possibly can and you know, as long as people are interested. Yeah. Well, I, I love it because it's always very current and a lot of the time it's got some kind of comedic view on what's going on with that kind of that real, true, honest understanding of what it is to be a woman behind a lot of the news as well. And I've always really enjoyed that about the community you set up. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, the social, the Instagram especially has really taken off and, I guess maybe that was going to happen because I work in social media and that's what I also do at Glamour and other places. So I do know social like the back of my hand and it just always has felt very natural to put a lot of the time into that. And so, but, you know, I do think it is really great that there's some, you know, accounts like this that are cutting through the noise and hate sign is one that I really love and yeah, taking covering political news or just news in general that also just isn't getting the attention you know a lot of women who have been murdered over the last year then you know their their stories haven't been shared or they're pushed down the BBC news page you know very far so I think it's it's definitely something that still feels really important and yeah because I work in journalism and social and maybe you know on the ball with the news just you know inherently and always have my own kind of opinion and take on it and it's really nice to have a space to share that on good yeah it's a great community you've built um I wanted to ask you sort of with everything we've spoken about today Mm. how do you define success now yeah it's a hard one I definitely think I've I've been thinking about it a lot and talking about it a lot to people in my life um And it's something I'm still trying to figure out. But I think for me, it's being able to do what I love for work. um, But also not at the expense of a personal life or well-being. And the pandemic has really shifted that perception for me. I think, you know, having time to slow down a bit um, has really helped. And yeah, I mean, I think now in the future, I just want to be able to do what I love and hopefully be paid for it and you know but take on less and and you know follow my passions and that should be success and much less than maybe five years ago where it was a job title or working at a certain paper or mag and climbing that career ladder and you know maybe that come does come with just the fact that I've been in this industry a little while now and I am quite senior so you know maybe it's looking back and just thinking 
you know, I could have maybe worked myself less, less to the bone um, with stuff. So yeah, success to me, I think is about balance and listening to what my current interests are rather than, you know, what I think I should be doing and looking at other people in the industry. Mm. Um, and my last question before we turn to the list, our listeners with some advice is how did you find your voice? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, hard, it's such a hard question, isn't it? Because there's not a pin drop moment for anyone. Um, mm. I think everyone has a voice. It's about honing it and feeling confident with it and trusting your gut instincts. And I think, you know, I, I, I found that through sometimes, which is an awful thing to admit, external validation. I think when, you know, my writing was well received, it then spurred me on to share more of myself and more publicly or, or whatever um but yeah I think it's just you're, I think my you know anyone's voice is always there it's just leaning into it and trusting it in it a bit more and I think you know with writers and authors etc our voice is almost very like visible because in the sense that you know I'm lucky that in what I do and what I love it's writing and that's something that kind of naturally will get some sort of audience or be seen or that's the goal you know if you work for a paper or a mag then your voice will get heard at some point um and it's kind of figuring out what you want that voice to be and and making a positive impact and I think I've always felt really strongly that I don't want to look back on stuff and felt like I had to do it because that's how you get somewhere um or you know yeah just trusting your gut instinct with most things and following what feels comfortable. And if you feel uncomfortable with something, not doing it. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. I think it's such a hard question because yeah, it's a, a voice, your voice changes as well, doesn't it? It, it is a hard question, um, but I love asking it because I always find Yeah, it's a very good question. <laughs> what, what you guys say um, is always just so interesting and always so different. Um, mm. So the next kind of part of the discussion, which is kind of just the end, the conclusion, um, really is giving back some piece of knowledge that you've gained mm -hmm. over the last few years to our listeners. And one thing we met, we were speaking about in our emails was this idea of being vulnerable, um, mm. which has helped. You've said in the past, like that vulnerability really has threaded through your poetry, and it's been kind of like almost like the core to a lot of your poetry. Um, so could you sort of speak about vulnerability and how you see that as sort of supporting this idea of finding your voice? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, as I said, like, I think vulnerability is something that I've always felt not necessarily easy to share, but something that I, I sometimes didn't realize when I was being really vulnerable, but what I've noticed or felt like the importance of it is, especially with women is that we, put ourselves in so many boxes and we're told constantly not to talk about certain issues, you know, like periods and mental health and yeah. feelings of, you know, depression, anxiety, or how we sexual violence, sexual assault. And, you know, at the moment, those things feel like vulnerability, but hopefully they've become more normalized and then they're just conversation. And I think, yeah, vulnerability is so subjective, but for me, every time I've, being vulnerable or something has felt scary but right it's always 
made a really big impact and really helped people and Mm. I've never regretted being vulnerable I think that's something I've said before that you know sharing your experience of something like sexual violence or something like mental health will feel so terrifying and that's you know because we're told we shouldn't share it but when you do you know there's the good always outweighs the bad and the way it helps other people will always make it feel worth it and even it's just for yourself even if no one else sees it you know it's cathartic and healing and life-affirming so yeah I guess for me vulnerability is just being yourself and like sharing your life experience and, and your truth or you know whatever that is and the fear that comes with it is you know maybe not you or it's what other people are telling you to be and I think I actually as I said like I I'm very open and I, I'm very passionate about sharing all the bits of your life and I never really feel I, I don't feel uncomfortable sharing them otherwise I wouldn't and actually it's always older family members or like people you maybe wouldn't expect they're like oh god did you really mean to say that do you want that out there forever and I'm like oh what that I have bad periods or (laughs) I'm anxious like for me it's just you know the the fact that we think these things are so controversial and vulnerable hopefully will change amazing so what do you have like a couple of tips to share on how people can sort of find that vulnerability yeah definitely so I think the things that you talk to your closest friends about or the things that you write in your journals and or think privately you know when you're in the bath tap into those a bit a little bit more and and, you know not maybe with the the goal of sharing them or them being something that becomes work but you know just explore it more if that means writing poetry about them you know workshops and poetry think of a topic that you feel really passionate about and feels really raw and vulnerable and that you are maybe scared to look into more and and pick that apart. Um, And then, you know, if you do have something that you want to share that feels really vulnerable and scary, my advice would be to show the most trusted person in your life, but don't show more than one person, Um, you know, get that support and then just go for it. Kind of don't listen to all the white noise around you and just trust that, what you have to say people will want to hear and it will help someone and that other people are probably feeling it too um so yeah I think those would be my tips you know work through it in private and definitely don't push out vulnerability before you're ready to share certain things um and yeah but then when you are ready try not to listen to to people around you or society that tells you not to well, Chloe, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Uh, it's been absolutely lovely speaking to you and thank you so much for being so vulnerable and open with us. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Of course, of course. Do hit subscribe and also please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. See you next month.